0: Psalm chapter 16. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness, for your faithfulness. Lord, and as believers, we need more of your Holy Spirit. For it's so easy to come under condemnation these days as the Bible is taken out of school and prayers taken out of school. And a majority of this country is not Christian. For we willingly allow babies to be slaughtered in the mother's womb. and They've been doing it for 40 plus years. Father, this is, this is not a Christian nation. But we do thank you that there are Christians in this nation. And so Lord, as we as believers come this morning, we need more of your Holy Spirit to stand against the evil that is trying to permeate our whole society. Lord, even as we study the Psalms this morning, help us to glean that we might be more like Jesus at the end of this day than we are right now. Help us to comprehend what you encourage us to do as believers to be that light, that salt to the world. And that they might know that you really love them, you really do. Lord, we also lift up the Harvest Crusade later this afternoon here, as well as all the various venues that it's going to be taking place at. Lord, we just pray for souls that people would come out, that they would receive your son. They'd come to know that you don't condemn, you love them, that they might have eternal life with you. Bless our time. I pray for the gift of teaching in Jesus name. Amen. Well, Psalm 16 and the Psalms are songs. If you're new or visiting, that's what the Psalm means. It's a song. So it literally was a song. David wrote many of the songs, and David lived roughly 3,000 years ago. And so, Psalm 16, a mictum of David. Now, it's not exactly clear what the term mictum means, but it is found within the title of six songs, or six psalms, that David wrote. And those six psalms deal with God's deliverance in perilous times. You see, David had learned how to become content even when things were not going well. He knew that God had a plan and was willing to look to him for that plan. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Again, if you're newer visiting, we encourage the Bible, and so if we flip through the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab a Bible. Uh, they're in the chairs in front of you. If you need a Bible, free, free to take it. It's not a problem. It's not stealing. you turn around and resell it, that's stealing. But just take it and enjoy it. Philippians chapter 4 verse 11 says, Paul writing to the church at Philippi, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, Or have nothing. And I know how to abound or to have much. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned. You might want to highlight those three words. I have learned. Both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. Because most of you probably have this next verse memorized. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But now you see that verse in its context. Not just when things are going great. Yes, I I can do all things. Things are going great. No, it's when you lose everything. And the enemy is pressing on you that there's no hope for you. You're still able to look up and go, no. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's so important contentment is something that has to be learned. For the flesh is typically unsatisfied. Especially when we're younger in our 20s and 30s. You talk to most 50, 60, 70-year-olds and they finally figured life out. Most. No. And they they've learned contentment. They've come to understand because they know they're getting closer to stepping over that final destination. They've, they've come to understand, you know what, I just need to be content. I need to learn contentment. I can't do what a 20-year-old can do anyway, so why, why do I try to push myself? You have to learn that, but you need to learn that even in your 20s and 30s. But when one is focused or fixed on Jesus and not the things of this life, we begin to learn to be satisfied or content with whatever He, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, whatever He has for us, which, as we learn that contentment, will empower us to make the most of every day. Instead of at the end of the day, laying in bed and going, I just wish I had. Oh, if I just had this, then I would be happy. No. God has given you what God has given you and me the same. Have I learned contentment? Have you learned contentment? You see, David, as we look back into the psalm, he has learned contentment. Because as we've spoken before, we don't know exactly when he wrote this, but if he did write this during the time of being pursued by Saul, you see, if you know the story, if not, read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. David married the king's daughter. So he was the son-in-law to the king. He had a very nice house. He had everything at his beckoning call. But then King Saul wanted to kill David because he realized David was going to get the throne and not his son Jonathan. So David had to flee, and it's estimated that David fleed for up to 10 years from King Saul. It must have been great being in the kingdom, having the nicest bed, having the daughter of the king The food, the guards, everything at your beckoning call. Yeah, I can do all things because God's on my side. But then having to run and live in the forest, no covering. Having to run constantly being chased by a madman. Even having to go into the enemy's territory, which he shouldn't have done, but he did. Even going into the land of the Philistines to hide from Saul. David made mistakes. We all make mistakes. But he learned from those mistakes. And he became content with with himself and with God. Realizing, okay God, you have a plan and a purpose. So David goes on to say in Psalm 16, Preserve me, O God. Those two words in the Hebrew, preserve me. It means to hedge about with thorns. To guard. To guard. Preserve me, O God. For in you I Put my trust. You see, it doesn't appear that David was in trouble, but rather that he was proclaiming that he needed God's constant care and protection. You see, David committed to trusting in God and not in himself because he acknowledges that within himself there's nothing good. And I know that's hard for some people to receive. He goes on and says, O oh my soul, you have said to the Lord... You are my Lord. My good is nothing apart from you. Notice that. David realized that God was the one who made him good, not David himself. As for the saints who are on the earth, I believe David goes on to say here, they are the excellent ones in whom is all of my delight. You see, because David realized that there's nothing good in him apart from God, and because of that he's made that commitment to God, David is able to look at other saints and delight in them. I think this is really important, especially in the church. Because it's so easy to find fault with others. Yet who is faultless? I've shared this many times with you. The previous church, Pastor John... He, he taught us this from the pulpit. He said, when you point, what's, what's happening? You're pointing with one finger. How many fingers are pointing back at you? Three. So he taught us, when you point, always point like this. Just, you are the problem. <laughs> isn't that, it's just, isn't that interesting? It's just so easy to find fault with others. But you got to realize, God isn't accusing us in the heavenlies. Is God up in heaven accusing you? Yet we oftentimes have no issue with finding fault or accusing one another here on this earth. Instead, let's stand in the gap for one another and pray for each other. And not fall into the tactics of the enemy of a- accusing Verse 4, their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. Now, as we read this, this is hard for us to imagine since we don't live in a culture that worships in this fashion. But the key to the verse is what? Worship. So the question is, how do you worship? How do I worship? And oftentimes when we hear the word worship, we instantly think of singing. Well, I don't sing very good. That's one aspect of worship. You need to reprogram, debug the program, because worship for a Christian is 24-7. And that's not singing 24-7. It's just living a life that's worthy of the Christian. And as you do that, whether it's changing a tire, helping a neighbor, whatever it might be, you are showing your worship to God by loving that individual as you're in line at the checkout stand, wherever it might be. Because Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. As we've talked before, your neighbor is the closest person to you at any given time. So are you, am I showing that love? Are we honoring God that way? You see, David wouldn't worship anything but the one true God. And those who are seeking after power, prestige, financial gains, are placing those things above God. This is what's applicable to you and me today. You know, when I was working at Motorola, there was power, there was the desire for prestige, there was the desire for financial gain. I mean, it's just in our society. That's America, right? Step on whoever you need to step on, get ahead, do whatever it takes, but that's not the Christian. You see, since there really is only one God, and all other things are false idols. If we place money, monetary gain, above our Christian faith, it's an idol. Now you read this. You go, I don't, I don't pour blood. I don't do drink offerings of blood. Yeah, we don't. That's good. If you do, stop. But you know. Anything you place above God, if you're a helicopter parent, you're placing your children above God. It's not about your children. It's about God. God brought them in. God's going to take them out, whether you like it or not. Give them over to God. That's the best place to put them. But whatever you might put above God, that is now your idol. So be careful. I have to be careful. You have to be careful. This is reality. David says, I'm not putting anything above God. Because there is only one true God. O oh Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The word maintain here, it means to sustain, to hold up. To sustain, to hold up. Oh Lord, you are my portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Now again, if he's writing this when he's being chased by Saul, you, it's just kind of, we have to realize, where's your good inheritance? <laughs> you're living in Engedi, you're living in the desert, you're living in this forest. He was running up and down Israel. Where's this good inheritance you're talking about? And we get so focused on the temporal, we forget the eternal. That ultimately, our inheritance is in heaven. You see, we celebrated Frank's graduation yesterday. He went to heaven a couple weeks ago. He's got his inheritance. Whatever he did for Jesus has been presented to him as his rewards. According to Corinthians, it's done. It's over. There's no work that you can do to get inheritance in heaven. Can I polish your throne, God? Can I get some more rewards? It doesn't need polishing. There's no dust in heaven. Praise God. So if you want inheritance, you better do it on this side. Because when we think of inheritance, we think often of what we're going to get from somebody or what we're leaving to someone. And when it's all said and done, everyone in this room, as Frank was in that little jar yesterday, and I had Frank in the palm of my hand as I carried him over there. We're all going to be there one day. And all the inheritance was left to somebody else. But what he did for Jesus was there waiting for him. You see, that's the inheritance that I believe David is even looking at. Because ultimately, that is where our true inheritance... Think about this. This is ultimately where our true inheritance already resides. You know, sometimes people will do things and and they do something and then somebody will come up and say, Oh, thank you for doing such and such. And, and the other Christian go, oh no, don't do that. You're going to take away my treasure. You don't have to worry about that. You cannot lose your treasure. Because Jesus is the one who said, store up treasure in heaven where moth does not eat, where rust does not corrupt, where thieves cannot break in and steal. Jesus keeps it under guard. And you can't lose it. But Jesus did make a point. He said, store up treasures in heaven. Jesus said that. So that's where our eyes need to be. Obviously, there's nothing wrong if the Lord has blessed you financially, has blessed you on this side of heaven. There's nothing wrong with that. But keep it in its proper perspective. And always be ready to let go. Always be ready to let go of it. Verses 7 and 8. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. And again, we've touched on this often. David, This is just part of David's life now. Notice what he says. I will. Not I might. Well, if I have a really good day, then I will. No, no, I will. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. Guys, for you and me, we are so blessed. David is writing the Bible. For you and me, We can get up at night if we're having a hard time sleeping, and we can open our Bible. Or we can turn on the TV and watch garbage. The choice is ours. But we can find peace even in the middle of the night through the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. David didn't have that, but yet he had a relationship with God, and it was so tight that David says, you met me, you instructed me, even in the middle of the night, I was able to pray to you, and you responded. So he says, I have set the Lord always before me. Now, if you know David's life, you can skip forward quite a few years and know, okay, David, that's not true. But at this point in his life, it is true. Again, we don't want to lift anyone up in the Bible above God. Jesus was the only perfect man. David made mistakes. You will make mistakes. I make mistakes. But at this point in his life, He is saying, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. I shall not be moved. Those four words there, shall not be moved, it means to waver, to slip, to shake, or to fall. And the three words, I have set, it means to agree with, to be, or become like. Listen to that again. I have set the Lord always before me. I have set, again, it means in the Hebrew, to agree with, to be, or to become like. Because instructs, instructs in verse 7, my heart also instructs me in the night season. That word in the Hebrew means to chasten, to discipline. To chasten, to discipline. You see, David was willing, he made a commitment, and he was willing to take God's discipline as well as instructions so that he might become more like God. And that's the exhortation for you and me this morning. As obviously Jesus is our ultimate example, we should desire to become more like him each and every day. Well, how do we do that? By setting Jesus before us. Well, we might say that, but how does that work? By setting your word before you. By being in your word. I find it very interesting. It's it's just popped in my head. So I don't know the exact address. But it's clear in the law. That God knew they were going to forsake him. And seek out a king. So he gave instructions that when the king was raised up. That the king was supposed to write the first five books of the Bible. The king. Not just the priesthood. But the king. Now, you guys sit down this week and and start writing the first five books of the Bible. That's hard. That's gonna take a lot of time. But as you are doing that, if I was to do it, I'm not, but if we were to do it, where would our eyes be on a daily basis? They'd be in heaven. Not on Bathsheba. They'd be in heaven. And not multiplying wives like Solomon did or horses and chariots like Solomon did. The wisest man in the world became the dumbest man in the world. Why? His eyes got off of the Word of God and onto his own flesh. You and I, we can do the exact same thing. Get our eyes off of Jesus, get our eyes on ourself. We will make the same foolish mistakes therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices my flesh also will rest in hope hope in the new testament is joyful expectation of coming good david knew that that good was coming and david had that eternal perspective that he could rest in what he could not see even heaven itself And he's able to look beyond the temporal and plan for the eternal. Because death, death was not a foe, but a friend. Now, if you were being chased by Saul, King Saul, and hundreds, hundreds of his soldiers, who you used to be over, by the way. David was over maybe some of those exact same soldiers that now Saul was chasing him with. So you knew these guys were experts in what they did would you think of death as a foe or as a friend? Most likely, a foe. David learned. David learned, for David knew that he would enjoy God's blessings throughout eternity, so he kept his eyes off of the eternal, and on temporal, and onto the eternal. Which again, it's very important for all of us in this room. First Corinthians fifteen. I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. Um, I would encourage you to write it down and go back and check it later. But 1 Corinthians 15 says this, And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. They're lost. And if our hope, that joyful expectation of coming good, If our hope in Christ is only for this life, like I hope I go to Disneyland, I hope I go to Disneyland, I hope I go to Disneyland, I didn't go to Disneyland. No, 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 no. I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven. And that really makes some people uncomfortable when you say that. Because in their minds they think right away, well, who do you think you are? You you know you're going to heaven? Well, Well, holier than thou, what? No, I just know Jesus. And what Jesus said is what he said. And it's the truth. So I know I'm going to heaven. So if in our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Oh, you poor Christians. You think you're going to heaven. Oh, you are so sad. You're so sorry for you. I wish you'd come into reality and go to hell with us. But in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead. That's a fact. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. That's a fact. Jesus has risen from the grave. And so for you and I, we have that same hope. For you, in verse 10 of Psalm 16, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol or Hades or hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption Uh, this is a messianic proclamation in that the body of the son of god the messiah will not rot or decay in the tomb as the rest of humanity does now obviously david didn't understand what that meant but now that we have the whole counsel of god you and i we can clearly see that the resurrection fulfilled this verse Our Lord rose bodily on the third day and so will we one day upon our death. We'll get our brand new bodies. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, as believers, you and I have found the path of life this morning. If you're not a believer, you might think, man, this is weird that these people sit here and listen to this talking head for 40 minutes. We're not just listening to a talking head. I'm here to encourage you, to strengthen you, to exhort you, to rebuke you, as I've been maybe rebuked during the week, through my devotions, through my study time, to say we're on the right track, we are on the right path, we're on the path of righteousness. Do we worship the same God as Muslims? No. Do we worship the same God as Jehovah Witnesses? No. Do we worship the same God as Mormons? No. Buddhists? Throw it out there. No, no, no. And we don't apologize for that. There is only one God. And so if you don't know that God, don't blame God. Take responsibility. That's your decision. Nobody else's. I'm not forcing it on you. I'm just sharing it. You don't want it, you don't ever come back, that's your deal. But God will hold you accountable, because you heard today that he loves you, he sent his son to die for you, and then you can have a free relationship with him. You don't want it, you don't want it. But you will never ever be able to blame God. You know, for us, with the temporal as well as eternal hope, we can know that no matter what might happen to us on this side of heaven, that one day we will be with God forevermore and there is nothing on this earth that can bring greater joy than that. In your presence is the fullness of joy. Amen. Is the fullness. Now think about this. It says that your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The right hand in the Bible, the right arm, the right hand is very symbolic of power. But now think of this in light of the New Testament. Who is sitting at the right hand of God. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Because again, a lot of times we think of, oh, wow, oh great, I'll I'll have a a big house in heaven. You missed it all together. You're not understanding the Bible. You're thinking on the temporal, you're thinking monetary or physical. No, the greatest pleasure that you and I are going to have is seeing Jesus face to face. And no matter where you are in heaven, 1,500 miles square, 1,500 miles high, we're going to see Jesus. Forever. No break. It's like, can I get away from Jesus? Nobody's going to say that. It's going to be like, there he is. There he is. There's Jesus. You're never going to be bored with Jesus. And we're not going to be bored with each other. Because we're going to be known even as we are known. Praise God. So David says, in your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand. Who's at his right hand? Jesus. Our pleasures forevermore. If you're not having pleasures on this side of heaven, it's probably because you're not focused on heaven. You know, If you're bummed out, if you're really frustrated, if you're mad at this life, if you you can't say, you know what, I, I just don't have a pleasurable life. Sorry, it's not God's problem. It's yours. Get your eyes back on God, and you will have a pleasurable life. Now, that doesn't mean you'll have an easy life, a comfortable life. Our brothers and sisters in Christ sitting in prison because of their faith are not having pleasurable lives, so to speak, on this side. But yet they can look up and go, you know what? If you kill me, you kill me. I'm going to heaven. Boy, that sounds like a bummer. Stay here in this prison or go to heaven. Jeez, I don't know. What should I do? That's just reality, guys. With God seeing Jesus, we're going to have pleasures forevermore. If you don't have them now, get your eyes readjusted. Psalm 17, a prayer of David. Now again, we're not sure when David wrote this Psalm, but it appears it was during a time of distress. And David is crying out to God for God's vengeance upon his enemies. And again, it's very possible this Psalm was written at the end of the time of fleeing from the presence of King Saul. So, Psalm 17. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look upon the things that are upright. You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. Uphold my steps in your paths, that my footsteps may not slip. Here we see that David is turning his problems over to God. He has been tested by God and found to be faithful. Others have lied about him. Again, if you know the story, if not, read your word. Saul and others were lying about David. But David knew the truth. So what does David do? He pours out his heart to the Lord that God will be a faithful judge. This week, when things come against you, go to God. God is a faithful judge. Just keep going to God. People come against you falsely. Just go to God. Pastor Chuck taught us many, many years ago, don't defend yourself. Just preach the gospel. Love the sheep and preach the gospel. If you love the sheep and preach the gospel, all the fires will eventually go out and you'll have new fires down the road. That's just the way it is. People are going to come against us. But if you love people and keep preaching the word of God, people are going to see that as well. And so David here, we see that he made a commitment to guard or to keep his mouth his mouth he says i have purposed it means to plan you see david planned ahead to speak words that would not condemn him and ask god to uphold the word uphold means to sustain to hold fast you see if we allow god to direct our steps we will not go down a path that will cause us or others to grieve And if this psalm is in regards to King Saul, there were two separate occasions where David could have taken the king's life. And you'll find both of those occurrences in 1 Samuel 24, the whole chapter, and 1 Samuel 26, the whole chapter. But David didn't take matters into his own hands. He literally could have killed the king. Not with words but with his own sword one time and with the king's own spear another time. He could have literally done that, but he trusted that God had a plan and he allowed God to remove King Saul from his place of authority. And as we cry out to the Lord, we can rest assured that God has a plan for our lives and situation. So again, allow God to uphold you and your ways. He will keep you from falling for he does know the heart of every situation. Every situation in your job place, in your home life, in your neighborhood, with your family members. He knows. Just take it back to God. Give it to God. He will make it right. Verse 6. I have called upon you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. Oh, you have saved those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress me from my deadly enemies who surround me. Interesting. David has been surrounded, yet he calls out to God knowing that God will hear him and man may condemn as King Saul did about David, but God saved David from the king's hand. And David here uses some very descriptive language as he speaks of the eye. Obviously the eye. The eye is very precious and our faces are designed to protect one of the most important features of our bodies, the eye. You see, God sees us individually as precious, just like the eye, and he will respond accordingly. Sometimes though, sometimes it seems... Like he's not responding at all. Days might go by, weeks, months. We prayed for our oldest son for 20 years to come back to Jesus wholeheartedly. Took 20 years. Don't give up. Just keep going to God. Keep knocking on the door because his timing is perfect. And our son is serving the Lord now. His time is perfect don't give up never give up as we look at the wings here the wings could be in reference to a bird but i think maybe they're possibly in reference to the ark of the covenant as david loved to spend time at the tabernacle and the wings of the two angels covered the ark that sign of protection and david surely surely needed god's protection throughout this ordeal with king saul how about for you and i today can god use his heavenly host to protect us Hebrews 1:14 says this: "Are they not all ministering spirits?" And Hebrews chapter one and chapter two speaks of angels. So when a Jehovah Witness comes and knocks on your door, take their Bible, King James, and read to them Hebrews one and chapter, chapter one and chapter two, and it totally annihilates their theology of Jesus as an angel. He is not an angel, totally annihilates it. Just go back to the word. So here, the speaking of angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? You see, we can trust in God's ability to protect us. Whether it's by the Holy Spirit or angels, God is always there. He's always there. Matter of fact, we just watched a movie. Yeah, you guys are sitting over there. We just watched your movie this past week about angels that came and ministered to you guys. They're ministering spirits. They are real. They're not chubby little things on clouds playing harps. They are real. Psalm 17 verse 10. They have closed up their fat hearts. With their mouths they speak proudly. So David here is speaking of the wicked. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes crouching down to the earth. David was not alone when he was fleeing. At one point he had 600 warriors with him. As a lion is eager to tear his prey and a young lion lurking in secret places. David here addresses his enemies and he makes it obvious that they have become callous towards God and boast of their own abilities. And again, this is a very interesting picture of King Saul if this is what it's about and how he tried to kill David on various occasions, but the Lord protected and spared David each time. And several times, King David was surrounded by King Saul and his army. Even when it appeared that there was no way out, God would deliver David from the hand of King Saul time after time. Verses 13 and 14. Arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down, Deliver my life from the wicked with your sword. With your hand from men, O Lord. From men of the world who have their portion in this life. Interesting request. Again, if you know the story, King Saul was killed by the Philistines. As well as his sons with him. And whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possession for their babes. David cries out for deliverance. But he also makes reference of the wicked and how they appear to be blessed in this life with children that will receive their inheritance. And I think we can identify with these verses as we see so many wicked people and it appears that they're getting away with so much in their evil days. But David wraps up those thoughts with something that no unbeliever, no unbeliever will ever be able to say. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. Praise God. Again, that day when you and I step into heaven, there'll be no unbeliever there. There'll be no wicked person there. There'll be no vileness in heaven. I shall be satisfied when I awake with your likeness. You know, there's a famous band that once said, I can't get no satisfaction. They're absolutely right. Because their eyes were totally focused on this world. And they will. you will never be satisfied if you're focused on this world. It's always one more dollar. One more high. One more this. One more that. Just one more. Just one more. Until you take your last breath. And then the one more is done. But for us as believers, we go, you know, the greatest thing is to see Jesus face to face. And I shall be satisfied. Notice this. I shall be satisfied when I awake In your likeness. Let's look at John chapter 3. 1 John. 1 John chapter 3 verses 1 through 3. Because again, David gets his eyes off of the temporal and looks into eternity. Which you and I need to do on a regular basis. And that is the ultimate time where David will be ultimately satisfied. In 1 John three one, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father, the Heavenly Father, God Himself, has bestowed on us. That we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone, every believer, and every believer who has this hope in him, in seeing God, does what? purifies himself just as he is pure you know as this world is becoming more and more perverse we as believers need to stay focused on god's ways and remain on that pure and righteous path. because one day and possibly one day soon we shall be with the lord we shall be with him forevermore so with those thoughts Let's stay focused on how to become more like Jesus each and every day. That was when I was going to Bible college. That was one of the prayers of the teachers. Larry. Every single time he taught, that's how he always prayed. And you'll hear me say that sometimes. It just was, that was really impacting. Lord, may we be more like Jesus at the end of this day than we are right now. Lord, may we be more like Jesus at the end of this study than we are right now. And guys, if we keep that as our prayer on a regular basis, We're going to become more like Jesus. Because you're just inviting the Holy Spirit into your life, into my life, to guide us, to keep us on that narrow path. It will keep us on that narrow path. Because again, we will see Jesus. I shall be satisfied when I awaken your likeness. And I don't think any one of us would disagree with that. Whether it's literally waking tomorrow morning in the likeness of God, or literally stepping into heaven, you're not going to be dissatisfied. You're going to be ecstatic. Ecstatic. Father, we thank you and praise you that through the power of your Holy Spirit we can become more like Jesus. Father, this is not speaking of religiosity, of works to become more righteous. It's speaking of surrender. What do I need to surrender? What do we need to surrender? Pride? Arrogance, money, power, prestige, a name, our kids. What do we need to surrender, to lay at your throne so that we might become more like your son? Because that brings you satisfaction. Just as when we see our own children becoming more like Jesus, what satisfaction that brings to us. How you take great satisfaction when we become more like your son as well. We thank you again for this time. And Lord, again, we just ask your blessing upon the day. We pray for all who enter this sanctuary that they would come to know Jesus. Again, for every venue, for the stadium itself, Lord, we pray for safety. We thank you for uh, our police force and those who try to protect us. But ultimately, even as David prayed this morning, ultimately our protection comes from you. So bless Pastor Greg. Bless the whole outreach. We look forward to seeing what you're going to do through these efforts in Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. Well, won't we stand and sing a song? If you need Jesus, please come forward. We'd love to pray with you. If you need prayer for anything, if you've been away from the Lord and you need to come back, today is the day of repentance. Get Jesus back where he belongs. We'll have elders up here. If you need a, a healing, we have oil. We'll anoint you with oil. Have a blessed week, guys. And again, if you can't make it today, it starts at 6 o'clock here at 6 o'clock. Uh, they're going to have a meeting at 530 for the ushers and the greeters. So come at 530 so you can pray. And please just be in prayer that someone would come to know Jesus today. God bless you guys. Have a great day.
1: Well, our fellow saint and brother Frank went to be with the Lord. And we had a service yesterday. And uh, it's just very touching. And and uh, joyful at the same time knowing that he's got his new body and worshiping the Lord and and uh we sang one of the hymns that there we're going to sing that again today and uh just uh honored to have known him and to have them a part of our fellowship and uh what an example and uh he enjoyed this song and and uh some of you have liked it too so we're just going to sing it at the foot of the the throne of Jesus, Amen. I come to the garden alone, while the dew is still. The birds hush their singing and the man